Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Austin Common Radio Hour. I'm your host, Amy Stansbury, and today we're talking about parks. And more specifically, a recently passed state law that is going to dramatically change the way we fund parks in Austin. So what am I talking about here? It all centers around something called parkland dedication. And to tell us all about it, let's listen in on an interview I recorded with Austin City Council member Allison Alter. Councilmember Alter represents District 10, which is in West Austin, and as you'll hear, she's very much opposed to that state law that just passed, which is called HB 1526, or House Bill 1526. Okay, let's give that interview a listen. Okay, I'm here with Councilmember Allison Alter, and we're talking about parks today. Um, in particular, the something called the Parkland Dedication Ordinance. Let's let's just explain what that is real quick for people who have no idea. What's Parkland Dedication? What is that? Parkland Dedication is a tool that the city has used since 1985 to help us increase access to parks across the city. It's important because we're growing as a city, and it is a mechanism that allows us to try to maintain the same level of service as we grow. What it does is it, um, previously anyway, it factored in um, the size of a development and under certain circumstances required land and or fees from the developer to offset the impact of that development on the park system. So one of the things that happens as you grow is more people are using the parks. Um, There's more places where people are that may or may not have access to parks and you have to plan for that as a city. And the underlying idea is that new development has an impact on the park system and that development should contribute to the cost of providing and maintaining the same level of service to our community with respect to the park system. Right. And people can see this, right? It's like even in Austin today, a lot of our parks that we know and love are more crowded than they were, you know, a few years ago. Absolutely. And it's also really important to know that as a council, we set a strategy so that everyone would have access to parks or green space within a quarter mile walk in the core and within a half a mile walk outside of the core. And that's really important for people's health and for our children and for our elderly and for everyone to be able to have the green space. And it's actually even important for our dogs. Um, You know, you have to have a space to go and walk them as you, as the city grows. Right. So the way this worked before is, Um, A developer is going to come in, you know, build a a new housing development and they have to pay, like you said, either a certain set fee or they can actually what like donate a piece of parkland or take set aside a piece of their development and say, we're going to make this be public. Yeah. So it's called parkland dedication, because what happens is if they're in an area that is parkland deficient under certain circumstances, the director can say, you're required to provide parkland. So let's say your development is adding a thousand people into the system. Then under those circumstances, you need to add a certain amount of parkland. It will look at what's available in the area. And if there's no parkland, you know, available in the area, you will likely be asked to provide some acreage um, commensurate with the size of your development. If it's in a place where we would want to have a park, um, towards the system. That way, as we grow and where you develop, then people have access to parks like right where they are. 
this is important also because, you know, the market is going to place developments where the market places it. It allows us to make sure that we're planning and having the parks exactly where the people are are coming to. Yeah. And I'm not sure if you know about any of this off the top of your head, but do we have any examples of like parkland or pieces where can we can we describe an example for people of a development that provided some parkland? Um. Absolutely. We have um, the Grove that provided um, parkland. We have a new park coming on there. Um, we have, um, there are a ton of them. I just, I didn't, I didn't think about those, those in advance, but, um, you know, we, we added in 2022, 19 acres of dedicated parkland, um, 10 acres of park easements, um, 14 extensions are dedicated purchases through parkland dedication. Um, this happens all over all over the city. There's a pocket park at the corner of 2222 um, and Woodrow. Um, there, there are several dog parks. There are, you know, all sorts of um, spots. Some of them are small. Most of them are small, but they're important. Yeah. And so that was the structure we had or kind of have right now, but that's changing because the legislature passed uh, a new rule this past session that really dramatically, dramatically changed our parkland dedication system. Um, let's break it down a bit. So what it did, I know that one of the big things is it made it so that um, commercial properties, right, can no longer are no longer subject to parkland dedication, which was actually a a new thing that council had passed fairly recently. Yeah, so in 2022, I had actually advocated to add commercial parkland dedication so that we'd make sure that we had park space and trails near where people were working. Um, this is really was really important potentially for our mobility um, because a lot of times we need small easements or we need trails that go by uh, commercial developments and we have no mechanisms for securing that during the development process absent this. Um, and one of the things they did was got got that. Um, this bill, you know, you said that it dramatically changed it. I would say that it gutted it. Um, there are scenarios under this new law where we actually, if we want to require even a small amount of land from a developer um, in the core of our city, we actually have to pay them for the land when wow. we're trying to do, if we want to require the land dedication. Um, so it really flips this whole thing on its head. Parkland dedication it was designed so that people wouldn't have to pay more and more property taxes to maintain the same level of service and that the developers would have to contribute to the cost of growth and that we would have mechanisms to make sure we all had access to, to spaces. Um, this, this law um, does some really weird things. And I just want to, you know, say for the, for your listeners, like this gets into the weeds really, really quickly. Um, that's true of parkland dedication as we had it because it was set up to be a legal mechanism to tie everything to actually the impacts that the developments had on our park system. And so it was very, you know, calculation driven and 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 fact based and and designed to be fair, you know, across the city. What they did with this legislation is because it becomes very weedy very quickly is that they jiggered things up in a way so that they basically said that, you know, if you live in the city central business district or the core, like you really don't need more parks. 
doesn't really matter how many people you're adding or how many dogs you're adding. Um, you really don't need it and the developers don't have to pay for it, um, essentially. And even under certain circumstances, the city can pay for it. There's a startling statistic that um, was shared to me um, is had this policy been implemented in 2021, 2022, the taxpayers of Austin would have owed developers, owed developers over 65.2 million to achieve the same level of growth in our park system, a total of 54 acres of new parkland. Um, you know, if we had done this, you know, actually the way this is written um, through through that. Um, yeah. Can, we, can we talk about that owed developers piece really quick? Because yes. I was talking with someone from the Parks Foundation about this as well, and I was so confused. I don't understand what is in this bill that would make us owe a developer or something. Can you explain that a little more? Okay. It's, it's possible. I know it's complicated. It's complicated and it can happen very quickly. So this bill um, gets so far into the weeds of trying to tell us how to um, regulate things in our city and our park system that it essentially sets up formulas for how we appraise the land. And while um, if we require... So it sets very low fees um, and then it sets these levels for how much land is worth and the fees don't correlate with how much the land is worth. But if the, if, if under a scenario, there was a set of fees that a development had to pay and we decided we wanted them to dedicate land, but the valuation of their land was higher than the amount of fees that they would owe we would have to pay them the uh. difference of the cost of the land. So it sets an artificially low fee that doesn't represent the cost of land, which is what th that cost of land, um, which is what we in our community, um, you know, are trying to deal with is to buy land in our market. Um, it sets it up so that the, if the fees don't add up, to how much that land would be worth according to these much higher appraisals, um, we owe them the difference. But the fees, unfortunately, have no bearing to the relation of the cost of land to provide the service, which is what our current ordinance or ordinance until this change did. Um, mm -hmm. So there's this very perverse set of um, elements to how this was written, where essentially it takes every incentive away from the city to require the dedication of land. So we won't, you know, we don't have that many to provide right. them, especially in the areas where the land is most expensive. And so we will not be able to require them the land, which is one of the most important parts. You know, people talk about the fees, um, but, you know, it's really that land and being able to have that land right where the people are growing in number that has an impact on access to parkland and on on um, the service levels of our parks. Right. Like that's one, of, like as you were saying earlier, that's one of the most valuable parts is not even necessarily paying money into the system, but being able to just grant the land right there where it is, because it can be so difficult sometimes to acquire that land. Absolutely. And I want to just underscore that we know that having a park by your development increases the value of your development, increases the attractiveness of the development. Um, so, you know, we have to think about um, this 
in a broader spectrum than like what buck I'm going to make as I turn this over. Um, and this was a very, very short-sighted bill that gutted our ability to provide parkland in our community and to achieve our goals for access of a quarter mile in the core and a half a mile outside of the core. Um, and the numbers are staggering. I mean, you're going to probably ask me in a few minutes, like, you know, what can we do about it? Well, you know, it's really, really important to understand that the numbers and the difference are huge. So in um, under some scenarios, um, in fiscal year 23, we had something like $26 million of parkland dedication and park development fees that we appropriated. So it goes backwards to the kind of year before, and that was a very high growth year. In fiscal year 24, um, we estimated that going backwards, so the, the bill hasn't hit yet, we have mm -hmm. about 17 million of fees, and we are now going to be somewhere for fiscal year 25 in the range of a million dollars. Wow. Um, and so there's so many elements, again, and, and I apologize to the readers, this gets into the weeds really, really quickly, but there are other things that they did too. They also changed the timing of when they pay. Um, so it even further severs the relationship between the fees and the cost of land to make up um, for that park service. And so, you know, in fiscal year 25, 26, 27, we're going to be even lower because it changed it. So they pay the fees at the end um, of the development process. Um, and that means that the land is going to cost us even more. We won't be able to provide the land in those oh. cases where we can't dedicate the land, um, you know, earlier in the process. So it's there when the people start occupying um, as much. And it just creates these very, you know, it, it really puts us at a deficit in terms of our efforts to address park access as we grow. You know, we have a lot of um, changes in the works that will add a lot of density in our community. Um, and as we grow, that parkland becomes even more important. We care about that parkland for our kids and our elderly, but in this example, I think it's really important. If you put a thousand Austinites into an apartment building, there's going to be an awful lot of dogs. And if those dogs have nowhere to go, it's a problem. And then we as a city get demanded to provide this parkland and we have don't have the levers to provide the parkland in a timely manner to people, even if we had the money, because, you know, you don't just magically get to find a park space where all the people are and where everyone is trying to build. Um, and so this was a great tool that has been gutted. Um, the commercial part is a tragedy, too, because we already have examples of trails where we weren't able to fill that gap because it was a commercial building and we weren't even able to be at the, the parks department wasn't able to even be at the table to get an easement, et cetera. And we're not talking for commercial, they were very low fees and they were very small amounts of dedication because everything is calibrated in our prior system to the impact on the park system. And as can you imagine, as you can imagine, there is an impact, but not as much from somebody who's working um, within the city. Now, I just want to take a quick minute here to interject and provide some more data points to better illustrate just how much this new law will impact parkland in Austin. 
So these numbers are from the Austin Parks and Recreation Department. Under our existing ordinance, 9.4 acres of parkland are required for every 1,000 residents. Under the new law, only 0.075 to 4 acres of parkland will be required for every 1,000 residents. And again, according to the Parks and Rec Department, this will result in 75 to 97% less parkland dedicated in urban and central business district areas. Uh, the new fee per affected multifamily dwelling unit will be 40 to 70% less than what it is today. And our park service will decline as our population grows. So, what can the city do about this? That's what I asked Councilmember Allison Alter next. But people have to speak up when they want parks. So everyone likes parks, our, our bonds pass, etc. But, you know, when we get to budget every year, I can count on a, one mm-hmm. hand the number of people who come and speak in favor of increasing park, parks funding. It is noticeable now, you know, the degradation of our parks with the number, you know, the number of people. And that's even, you know, with having this in place. And, and I will say that the fees when it's not a park deficient area help maintain the parks you know, help upgrade the parks where um, the people are living if we don't need to add more parkland in that particular area. Um, so, you know, this has such a detrimental effect. And if people care about our parks, they have to come out and they have to advocate and they have to help those of us who, you know, ran for office, you know, to improve our park system. Parks advocates do not show up when it comes to budget in the numbers that we need to see them to make the change. Um, and if they did, as you said, everyone likes parks, um, but we have some real serious investments that we need to make in maintenance um, as well as in land acquisition. So that 10, 20 years from now, we're not in really problematic straits, um, but without a lot of folks coming and advocating for parks funding, we're not going to get there. Yeah. And so you're kind of hinting at it. Obviously, a big piece of it is uh, advocating for more funds. What, what, Where else do we go from here um, to work on our parks? Are there any other um, ideas or solutions that have been floated about or that um, could be helpful? Is it just we have to spend more money on bonds? Really, um, you know, you have... You have, you know, if we want to grow our parks as we grow, we have, as the parks department, you know, says, we have three options. You can increase property taxes, you can lower standards in the level of service for parks, or development can pay for it. Um, and, you know, absent a huge amount of philanthropy from these developers or from other folks in the community, property taxes um, is really the main way that we can do that, whether it's within our existing budget or it's through bonds, um, you know, we don't have the flexibility to just create, you know, a soda tax and do some of these other things um, that might be done in other cities because of the way the state legislature regulates us. And because we have this 3.5% cap on the growth of our budget, there are some serious limits, you know, to what it is that we can do. Um, you know, we are trying to do various things. We, you know, early in my term, we 
rejiggered how we did our hotel occupancy tax funding so that we'd have a large bucket for historic preservation, you know, and there we have, I think this year we had almost 10 million that went to our, to our parks to preserve historic um, parks. And that's doing work like in Fiesta Gardens and um, in Zilker and um, other places around town, which have historic parks, which helps, you know, and, and um, finding those mechanisms are, are really important. We had um, some, you know, changes to different kinds of fees so that we would be bringing in some additional revenue and earmarking those. Um, but this is an enormous blow and I, I really don't want to um, get that lost. Um, and what it will mean is more burden on the taxpayers. And I think, you know, there still may be an opportunity in the future to change things at the legislature when we actually see how this plays out. And I, you know, going to be looking at legal action um, and seeing if that's possible. Um, but there are very limited, there are very limited options that we have. Um, and so we're going to have to figure out how to make investments and I welcome, you know, creative ideas and I welcome philanthropy, but, you know, this really should in, in, in large measure for at least the growth part of this be something that the developers are helping us do and the amount that they'll be contributing under this new, um, setup is so minuscule. It's really problematic. Yeah. Um, I know we're at the end of our time here, but I'm wondering if you have a quick second um, to just maybe mention land management. I know that council just passed um, something on that. Can you just fill people in really quick on what's on that front, just since it's kind of parks related as well? Sure, absolutely. Um, so we just adopted um, what I'm going to call our land management plan, but it has a complicated name of like our you know, land management, climate analysis, vulnerability analysis. Um, and this is um, a guide that is going to help us with our parks and preserves that are more natural spaces, that are larger spaces, so that they can be more climate resilient, so that we can prevent wildfires, so that we can have our plant diversity, that we can um, really maintain those spaces um, in the future um, so people have access to those um, larger residential spaces. Those parks and preserves are distributed all around sort of the outside of the circle that is Austin. Um, and this plan is um, going to guide us to make some investments. We we did provide additional funding in the budget for this. And over the next few years, that's going to be an area where we can look for um you know additional investments. One other thing that I'm looking at is um I believe that we need to make some changes to how we do our capital planning for parks. Um, so we haven't been as good about adding the operation and maintenance needs as we bring these lands on. Um, and so I'll be bringing forward a resolution to improve that in the planning process so that if we bring a facility, if we bring parks and preserves, we're planning on the maintenance um, moving forward and not asking PAR to take that money out of their existing budget. Um, I think we definitely need to do a better job of that in our in our planning process. Yeah, this has been a long lasting problem with part is just keeping up with maintenance. I know for years we had a, you know, many like a huge significant maintenance backlog and it's difficult for them to just keep up uh 
with our park system. And people can, you can see it too, as a park user, right? That yeah. maintenance is starting to really fall behind. And we, you know, we, we Austinites love our parks. Um, and there, there are, you know, I've mentioned some of the advocacy ways, but there are the Parks Foundation, various conservancies, they all have ways to contribute financially, but they also have ways to volunteer and help get some of that maintenance done. It's a great way with a group of friends or with your company um, to get out there and do your part um, to help, you know, our parks be at the level that we would love them to be. And that was Austin City Council member Allison Alter. And what I really wanted to focus on today was just that, an explainer about how this bill will impact Austin and our park system. So I don't want to dive too much deeper into the weeds on this, but just to give a little bit more background on how this bill came to be. Councilmember Allison Alter told me that she feels it's just another example of money in politics. And the bill's author, State Representative Cody Harris, on the other hand, says that the bill was written because of the affordability implications of parkland dedication. In an analysis report about the bill, he said that he was concerned about rising parkland dedication requirements, writing that, quote, Some developers even report that they have decided against building multifamily developments in certain areas of the state because increases in parkland dedication requirements have made it cost prohibitive to build projects that can offer affordable housing in those markets, end quote. And just a quick note here that Austin's parkland dedication ordinance did not apply to most types of truly affordable subsidized housing. But it is true that parkland dedication requirements and fees have increased in Austin in recent years in response to, to the rising value of land in the city. So in the fiscal year 2021 to 2022, the city doubled what it charges. And in 2022-2023, those fees were basically set to double again until council stepped in and opted instead to raise fees by 10% because of those affordability concerns. But regardless, this is where we are now, with a parkland dedication ordinance that will simply no longer bring in the money or the land that it once did. So, as we mentioned earlier in this episode, if you're a parks person and you're looking for a way to give back, there are lots of local organizations where you can volunteer. Here's a short list. The Shoal Creek Conservancy, Waller Creek Conservancy, Austin Parks Foundation, The Trail Conservancy, Keep Austin Beautiful, Peace Park Conservancy, and Tree Folks. You can visit any of their websites for a list of upcoming volunteer opportunities. And with that, that's our show for today. The Austin Common Radio Hour is brought to you in partnership by the Austin Common and Co-op Radio. The Austin Common is a local news source that helps Austinites be informed and make a difference in their community. You can learn more about the Austin Common by visiting theaustincommon.com or following us on Instagram at the underscore Austin underscore common. Co-op is a cooperatively run community radio station based right here in Austin, Texas. To listen to more of Co-op's amazing lineup of shows, visit koop.org or tune in to 91.7 FM. This show is hosted by me, Amy Sansbury, and produced by John Hoffner. You can find podcasts of the Austin Common Radio Hour on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. And one quick friendly request on this, if you like our show and you find it useful, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing on your favorite podcast app. It really does help us to be seen and heard by more folks in Austin. So thank you in advance if you're able to do that for us. Thanks for listening.